0: Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this part of your word, thank you that it strengthens us, it encourages us, uh, it it, it teaches us how to endure in the midst of a world that really isn't how it should be. Uh, Father, we ask today that you would remind us of your love, that you would place these truths deep within us such that for those who are going through tough times now, they would know the certainty of your love and for those of us who have yet to face them, we would be prepared now for then. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are some parts of the Bible that are absolutely need to know in the sense that you need to know them. There are some parts of the Bible that are essential to our understanding of the Christian faith. In other words, if you want to understand the big picture, if you want to know what Christianity is all about, if you want to be able to understand the world and God and your life, then you need to know a whole bunch of Bible passages. You need to know passages like Genesis 1-3, to or Exodus 19-20, to or 2 Samuel chapter 7, Isaiah 53, Mark 15, John 3, Revelation 21-22. to You've got to know these kind of passages. Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, well there's some homework for you, right? I'll give you the list later. There are some parts of the Bible that are essential not so much for our understanding of Christianity, but for our ability to live Christianly. And so we, you need to know the Psalms. I mean, it's okay if you don't memorize all of them, but the Songbook of the Soul, they're called. You need to know passages like Philippians 2, Ephesians 1 and 2. And you really need to know Romans chapter 8. This is the sort of passage that you need to soak yourself in. You need to meditate on it. You need to be able to preach it to yourself as you're walking down the street. If you're going to be able to preach it to yourself, you're going to have to know it pretty well. It's the sort of passage to stick on the front door of your house, on the outside, so that you see it as you're coming home. That's the sort of passage. It's a purple passage, we call them. Although uh, Joe Joe kind of asked me this morning, I said, oh, this is a purple passage. And he said, why do you call it a purple passage? And I thought, I don't know, so I'm going to go look it up. So here's a purple passage, right? It's a passage conspicuous for brilliance or effectiveness. And I thought, oh, that's pretty good. In a work that is dull, commonplace or uninspired. Uh, I can't really call it a purple passage anymore, can I? Because the rest of Romans is also brilliant and conspicuous in its effectiveness, but this one is powerful. I think if I, if I worked out all the times that I've spoken the Bible into the lives of people, this one would be the one that I've said the most, easily, by far. It'll bring comfort for the suffering, it'll strengthen the weak. Maybe right now life's good and you're not going through a tough time, well then now is the time to put this deep inside of you, so that when you get there, it's ready. And if you are going through those times now then I pray and I hope that it will be of great encouragement to you. Now I want to show you in this passage two truths and four implications. Now in your little handout it's just kind of points one through to six but really the first two are two truths and then four implications. The first truth is this, and really it's kind of feeding on from last week. If you missed last week, I'm sorry, Uh, the recording of it should be available online, and if not, it will be soon. Uh, The first truth is this, Christians, we are sons of God. We are the children of God. And because we are the children of God, we are heirs with Christ. It's an astonishing reality. You might have remembered last week, Matt was talking about us being connected, us being united to Jesus, such that everything that happens to him happens to us, including his inheritance. Pick it up from verse... uh, We'll go from verse 12, but really we'll, we'll warm up into the point. Verse 12, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, kicking off from last week, as we are connected to Jesus by the Spirit, we have an obligation, not to the sinful nature to live according to it, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave, again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share also in his glory. This is the first truth you need to know. Christian, you are united to Christ, such that you too are a child of God's and the inheritance that belongs to Jesus is also ours. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus who is one and only God, Jesus who is the son of the one and only almighty God, Jesus whose inheritance is everything, Jesus, whose inheritance is the very glory of God himself. That is the inheritance we share in. The glory of the one and only God, resplendent in majesty, as befits the one who is the creator of all. That is the glory that awaits us. If you are a Christian, then you are an heir of the very glory of God himself. It's not a bad future, is it? Not a bad inheritance. It's not a bad thing to look forward to. In fact, it's quite all right. The second point, though, is that the world is not as it should be. See, hang on. I'm an heir of the glory of God, but my life right now sucks. It doesn't. I like my life. But you know what I'm saying. The world is horrible. It is full of suffering. It's full of injustice. You just turn the TV on. I do not have to convince you of this. It's full of all sorts of pain and turmoil. Every one of us has felt the sting of death. And as Christians, we have it even worse because not only do we have what everybody else has, but then we also get persecuted. The world is not as it should be. In fact, it has been placed by God under a curse, under bondage to decay. Jump down to verse 19. It's a curse that has a future to it. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The whole of creation is waiting for you and I to be displayed. What a strange thought. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The world that we live in, the experience that you and I have of the world around us, is not the same as the world was in Genesis 1 and 2. It's no longer the world where everything was in harmony and was good and people could walk with God and talk with God and love one another. The world we experience is the world after Genesis 3. It is a world that is cursed. It is in bondage to decay. Things are not right. And we know that. We know it. We instinctively cry out. We want fairness. We want goodness. We want the suffering to end. All that we know of this world makes us cry out for something better. This world, in fact, that really is going through the sort of pain of childbirth, you could say. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. See, it's a suffering that has an end point, a purpose. I've been through uh, three childbirths now. Um, Hi, <coughs> wife. Uh, not me, myself, right? Okay, I, I, I was present at the time. Although I nearly missed Eleanor, actually. Uh, I I went to get Subway and I came back and, oh, baby! (laughs) Anyway. It's painful. I know, I was there. There was lots of screaming and yelling and carrying on. I'm sure it was painful. But it's amazing how fast it changed from the agony of delivery to that moment of euphoria as you're holding a baby. The creation is in the pain of childbirth. Suffering, but that suffering has a purpose. Through it, we, you and I, Christians, are learning to be the children of God that he has made us to be. We are learning to obey when obedience is hard. We are learning to trust when we've got nothing else to rely on. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' path to glory was through suffering? Do you remember the night in Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified? Do you remember what was happening to Jesus? He's in the garden of Gethsemane and sweat was pouring off him like blood. He was in agony as he looked forward to what was to come. And yet he could say to his father, not my will but yours. Through the suffering into glory. That is the path we follow obedience made perfect okay there are two truths Christian you are a son of God and an heir son and daughter you are a child destined to inherit glory the very glory of God but right now we live in a world that is still well under this curse under this bondage to decay and to suffering so I want to show you four implications in this passage firstly You and I have real hope. Real hope. Hope matters. Hope is what gets us through today. The thought that somehow tomorrow might be better. That somehow tomorrow what I'm going through might end. That life might be good again somehow. And the hope that we have is a sure and a certain hope that this body, that this creation, this existence that we are bound under is going to be renewed into a new one, just like Jesus was. So go from verse 22 again. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In this hope we were saved. I don't know what you hope for. Maybe you hope that tomorrow will be a little bit better, that next week the difficulties will end. But this is the hope that we were saved into, that our bodies, that our flesh that that which is decaying will be renewed. You're going to get a new one. All of that pain and suffering done away with. I can't imagine living without this truth. Can you imagine trying to have some sort of hope for tomorrow? I, what would you even base it on? I mean, tomorrow, I'm just going to be older. I'm going to be sicker. Probably going to be poorer. I've got three kids to bring up. Uh, But basically, what I'm saying is we've hit our peak now. Tomorrow is only going to get worse unless you have Jesus, in which case you have a real hope that tomorrow, everything that is bad now will be renewed. That the one whose spirit gave life to Jesus will give life to your mortal bodies. We have real hope. Secondly, you and I get to pray beautifully. I don't know if you pray much. I really hope you do. But there are times where you just... I've known people who could pray so beautifully that you'd swear they were angels. or something. I mean, it's just bizarre. And then I've known other people who stumble and just can't put two words together, let alone... But you know what? They both pray beautifully. Because God's Spirit intercedes even when we don't know what to pray he does have a look at verse 26 as we wait for this hope the spirit helps us in our weakness we don't know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes with groans that words cannot express he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with god's will. What are we supposed to pray for in this world of suffering? What, am I supposed to, what was I supposed to pray for my grandma? She, um, she got the double whammy, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and she had them for about 20 years. So there was a long time of a lot of suffering. What am I supposed to pray for her? Am I supposed to pray for God to take her? I mean, is that what I'm supposed to pray? God, kill my grandma. Am I supposed to pray for healing? I don't know. What do I pray in the face of the baby born without lungs? What do you pray in the face of the crippling illness that just pulls you down? What are you supposed to pray in the face of poverty, in the face of bullying, in the face of persecution? I don't know. But you can still pray beautifully because the Spirit does and He intercedes for us. I hope that you pray. If you don't, then please start. It doesn't matter if you don't know. It doesn't matter if you stumble. It doesn't matter if if your words feel awkward and, and you don't really know what to pray for and you just, it's okay. You pray beautifully. The Spirit intercedes that you might be praying the very will of God. Okay, so we have real hope. We get to pray beautifully. And it just gets better. Because the third implication, God is for you. God is for you. He is at work for your good. You need to grab hold of this. You need to have it close to your heart. You need to be able to preach this to yourself as you're walking down the street. God is at work for my good. Look at verse 28. We know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. God is the one. Whose purpose it is to bring you to the end. God's purpose is the one. And he's in control of everything. He is sovereign. It may not seem like it. But what you are going through is what you need to be going through. What you are going through is under God's hand. In his purpose. To bring you through for good. See, God is the one who subjected the world to frustration. He's the one who put the curse on it, the bondage to decay. And he did it for his purposes. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff about predestination in these verses that I'm not going to go into today. We're going to do a stretch night in the next school holidays and we're going to go into it well and truly in depth. Enough for now to say, this world is in God's hand. He controls it. It is his. And so your destiny is in his hand. He controls it. It is his. And he tells you that he's doing everything for your good. I played volleyball uh, when I was in high school. I had fun, kind of got a ride at it. Uh, we, we, it was a school team, we played firsts, and, uh, and our team was good enough that we went two whole seasons undefeated. No, sorry, four seasons, two years. We played it both summer and winter. Didn't lose a single game. We were pretty good at it. But I tell you what, I never enjoyed training because our coach put us through pain. There's no other way of describing it. So run. Does it hurt yet? No. Well, then run some more, right? It was just I'm going to throw balls at your face, does it hurt yet? No, I'm going to throw some more, right? Dodgeball, anyone seen that? He never threw wrenches, I'm very glad for that. But the pain was necessary to get to the glory. We can't all be like Joe and just rock up at soccer every Thursday and win anyway, right? Some of us had to train, had to improve, had to get better at it, had to go through pain in order to reach the glory. It's like that with my children, I discipline my children. They don't like it. You say no. Ah, Right? You can't do that. It will hurt you. You must do this. It is good for you. You must endure what I am putting you through. I have hopes that they will have a glorious adulthood. I put them through discipline now for what will come then. I want to make sure though that you understand this. God is the one who gets to choose what the good is. It's not up to you and me to say, well, God is working in all things for my good, therefore I get to do blah. God chooses. And did you notice what it is that he has chosen for us? Predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. What God is doing in this world of suffering through us, is to make us more like Jesus, the one who endured the pain of the cross for the glory that lay before him. That is what God is doing. He's putting us through the pain, through the suffering, in order to bring us to glory, to teach us to obey, to teach us to trust, to teach us to depend upon him. Notice though, That the suffering and the glory are different orders of magnitude. We skipped over verse 18 on the way. Jump back to it. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to downplay your suffering. I don't want to say that what you're going through right now is not really all that hard. It's okay. Suck it up. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is that you need to fix your eyes upon the glory to come because it is so much greater, so much greater than the worst that we can go through. It feels life-shattering now. It feels impossible to get through now. But we must fix our eyes upon Jesus. Fix our eyes upon the glory that awaits, knowing that God is at work to get us there. So I had Jeremiah 29 read. Now, this isn't a promise for us necessarily, but what I wanted you to see is just one example of God's control. Israel had been captured by Babylon. They're done. Israel's over. God's purposes are finished. God's people destroyed. And yet God said to them, guys, it's okay, chill. 70 years. That's all the time you've got to wait, and I will come back and restore you. Endure the suffering now, because even these kings, these nations, this world, it's all in my control. It's okay, wait for the glory that will come. Okay, we are children who live in a fallen world, we have real hope, we get to pray beautifully, God is for us. The fourth implication is that nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from God's love. I'm going to read from verse 31 on, just make a few comments as we go, but really I want you just to soak in it. Verse 31, what then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? If, if, if we go through the path of life with the Lord God Almighty by our side, in fact, with the Lord God Almighty directing our path and clearing the way for us and setting the destination, who can get in the way of Him? Well, nothing. Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God's already given Jesus for you. Why would he hold back anything good? It's like saying, I'll give you a billion dollars, but I won't give you 10 cents. That's just silly. He's given us everything in Jesus he will not hold back anything good. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Nobody can surprise God with something about you that would mean he's going to say, oh no, oops, didn't know that one. Can't have to let him go. Sorry. He already knows it. And he already loves you despite it. There's no, there's no uh, a dual citizenship that somebody could bring up that makes you ineligible for office, shall we say. It's not like when we're before the judgment throne of God, somebody's going to say, oh God, actually, you really need to know, I, I found something out about David, you, you, you're not going to believe this, but it, he already knows and he already loves despite it. God is the one who justifies All sin. Oh, but God, did you know this about David? Yes, I did. Already paid for. Verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Somebody can come in and say, oh, but David owes me and Jesus just said paid. Oh, but David did this. Jesus says, I paid it. But he's got to, I paid it. But I paid it. What about I paid it? Jesus is interceding. Nobody can condemn you for anything more. Because the one who died for you and has been raised to new life is the one who stands there and says, paid. It's done. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. See, that the reality of suffering is normal. It is every day. It is ever-present for us. And yet not one of those things can separate us from Jesus. There is no hardship that can cause God to stop loving us. There is no persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or... No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, the present, the future, any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's not a thing that can tear you out of his grasp. you getting out what I tell you? This is a passage you've got to have in your heart. Well, it's got to be soaked into you so that as you face life, you remember I'm God's son destined for glory. He is for me. I have this sure, real hope. I can pray to my heavenly father knowing that there is nothing that can separate me from his love. It's been a while now, but back in my uni days, I used to come across people. We liked arguing a lot. Actually, that's not what's been a while. I still come across those people. But there were people who would argue about God and suffering. I don't know if you've ever heard this one, right? If God is all good and God is all powerful, why is there suffering in the world? He's he's either not all good or he's not all powerful because if he was all good, he would want to end it. And if he's all powerful, he could end it. Therefore, well, God mustn't exist, they used to say. You know, people who say that haven't read the Bible because the Bible from cover to cover is all about what God is doing about suffering. It's just the whole picture from A to B. In fact, it's from A to Z. More to the point, without God, I don't know how you deal with pain and with suffering. I don't know what you do. Suffering just is. Some people call Christianity a crutch. You ever heard that one? It's just a crutch. Of course it is. What do you need when your leg's broken? You need a crutch. What do you need in the face of the suffering in the world? You need a God who loves you and cares for you and will bring you through it. A crutch is a great thing to have when you're sick. And every one of us are. It's no surprise that where there's suffering in the world, there's Christians. You look at the famines around the world and it's the Christians who are there. You look at the places of the world that are torn by war and it's the Christians who are there because we bring a message that has an answer in the face of a world that is not the way it should be. Suffering people find the solution in Jesus. Real hope, beautiful prayers, God who is for you, a love that will never let you go. What are you going to do this week? to make sure that this is deep in your heart this is deep in your mind that you can preach it to yourself when you need to what are you going to do i want to encourage you to make sure your eyes are fixed firmly upon jesus if god did not hold back his own son how will he hold back anything good i mean there's no surprise that our you know our symbol is the big cross and all the rest of it right it's, i mean it, it's to remind us, fix your eyes upon Jesus. We almost need a cross with a circle. I mean, I'm mean, i more of an orthodox thing, right? Because it's, it's, it's the dead Jesus who is risen. It's the living Jesus whose inheritance you share in, whose glory awaits you, who now justifies, who now intercedes so that you might go through this world of suffering, learning obedience, learning to trust, being made by the likeness of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so kind to us. You've taken us and united us to your Son by your Spirit. And in so doing, you've made us co-heirs with him, heirs of your glory. Father, thank you even that the world is the way it is because you've put it there in your purposes in your plans father our suffering to us feels insurmountable often the life ahead the road looks so difficult and so teach us please to endure to see it through to know ourselves as your children thank you for the hope you give us in jesus the hope of a new body the hope of the glory that awaits all of the creation, renewed by your Son. Thank you that every one of us gets to pray beautifully. Thank you that you're for us. That you are doing what is needed in each of our lives to keep moulding us into the shape of Jesus. Thank you that you'll never let us go that there is nothing that can separate from your love. And so, Father, please would you take these truths and bury them deep in our hearts, that we might learn to trust, that we might learn to obey, and above all, that we would be filled with praise and with thankfulness for you, to your glory. Amen.